This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 77, and we are recording on April 18th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What up, Amanda? Holla. Holla. <laughs> I it, have nothing to add to that. <laughs> is it sunny and beautiful by you? It's very nice It is nice so nice, and I have opened all my windows, and there are birds chirping, and I'm finding a newfound appreciation for spring this year. Mm-hmm. I generally am very grumpy about it because I don't like rain or the outdoors. Um <laughs> But it's not been very rainy this this year for some reason. It's just, like, nice. Yeah. It's, like, 75 degrees and nothing. And I, I kind of like it. All my gardening friends are bummed about the lack of rain, but I am um, not sad. Sorry. Well, I am not one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so this is a recommendation show, like we said at the top. Um, so if you're new to the show, here's how it works. You send us questions, and we give you book recommendations. And your questions can be anything from, what should my book club read next?, to what should I get for my niece for her birthday, or I just finished this book and it left a hole in my heart, what do I read that's like it? Whatever your book questions are, please to send them to us. You can send them via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. You can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of uh, the show notes on the site uh, for every post. You can also tweet them at us, but people generally don't do that, which is probably smart. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not Uh, on the Twitter so much anymore. No, same, same. (laughs) Um, And so if you have a time-sensitive question, please make sure to note at the top uh, in the subject line of your email or at the very top of the form that when when exactly you need it by. We do our best to get to those before the deadlines. Um, if I think we're not going to get to it on the air, I will email you a response. We also, I've been emailing responses to people who maybe have been waiting for a super long time or a similar question has been answered on air. And we just started doing a series of posts on the site called uh, Dear Get Booked, where we take a question that we would have taken to the contributors anyway and we you get to see all of the contributors recommendations so do check on the site um for those i think there might be one up this week probably maybe we'll see keep an eye out so there are many ways you could get answered including right here on the show uh so we are going to i'm going to read our first question then amanda's going to tell you about our first sponsor and then we will dive right into the recommendations So our first question is from Alicia Mack, who says, I desperately need help with a nonfiction recommendation for a birthday gift. A close friend of mine has a birthday next week, and I would like to get her a book. She recently visited the JFK Memorial in Dallas and was moved by the experience. She has fallen down the rabbit hole of hypothesizing what really happened or is known to have happened regarding his assassination. Please help. This is totally not in my wheelhouse. I think nonfiction would be best, as she doesn't read much fiction, but we'll look into great fictional picks you suggest. I'm not really wanting to go the Stephen King route. Ah, yes. JFK assassination books. (laughs) Just ruined my pick with the last line about not wanting Stephen King just just ruined it no I'm just kidding Um, (laughs) okay before we get to our recommendations I'm going to talk about our first sponsor which is the book it's a book 
unsurprisingly, called Postgrad by Carolyn Kitchener. And this is from Echo. This is nonfiction, and it's about what actually happens to people in their first year out of college. So when Carolyn, the author, graduated from Princeton, she started shadowing four of her female classmates and kind of interviewing them as they started to, like, navigate that murky post-collegiate life, uh, you know, area. Area is not the right word. Post-collegiate life, end of sentence. So in the book, she weaves together her own experience as a writer just out of college, along with the experiences of the other women, uh, one of whom is a a documentarian, a singer, a computer programmer, and um, one goes off to med school. And she takes like a deep dive into their personal and professional opportunities that are offered not just to her and her friends, but to female college graduates in general. So this isn't like you know, another book about wacky millennials and their quirky life when they move back in with their parents. Um, but it's about like the frank look at what happens to people who are graduating with very expensive college degrees right now and what, what they do with themselves in between that time period of school and establishing what they want to do with their lives and like finding a job that makes them happy. So the subjects of the book are all diverse. They come from different racial and sexual and socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and this like kind of bizarre middle area of what you do right with yourself right after you graduate isn't, isn't really the topic of a lot of essay collections. So this is covering that. So that's Postgrad by Carolyn Kitchener. You can go check that out. That is from Echo. Nice, nice. Okay, so JFK, this is a really, like, it's, of all the presidential stuff that's, like, out there to read books about, this is probably the hardest one to find books that aren't, like, wacko conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was hard. So I went with The Death of a President, November 1963, um, by William Manchester, which is interesting for a lot of reasons. So it's a really, it's, like, 800 pages. It's this, like, just meticulously researched, incredibly detailed look at JFK's life, like in the five days leading up, no, the five days around his death. So like, I think the book starts the day before his assassination and then it ends with his burial. So like 700 pages, about a five day period. Um, And the book was like the Kennedys asked Manchester, who's a well-known historian, to write this book, to do this like exhaustive kind of historical investigation. Um, so everything that you ever wanted to know about JFK's life in the moments leading up to his death and then what happened to his family after is in this book. What's interesting about the book is that the Kennedy family quashed it. Like they had so many problems with the stuff that Manchester revealed that they um, like – I think they sued him. Anyway, they like made it so that he couldn't have any more books printed. Um, and this was for the book was first published in 67. And then all of the people, all the members of the Kennedy family who were involved in that um, suppression of the collection, you know, eventually died. And then it started to be reprint, reprinted very recently. I think, um, I think the first reprinting was in 2013, but I, don't quote me on that. So the book itself has a lot of really interesting stuff going on in the background, but it is a really exhaustive look at the assassination, which is what your friend is looking for. So that's The Death of a President by William Manchester. All right. I This is also not my wheelhouse. <laughs> I have no idea. I did go to our contributors, and um, one of them, Romeo Rosales, recommended The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. Um, he said that he found it to be amazing and filled with primary sources. This is definitely more along the conspiracy lines. Uh, the author, Robert Roger Stone, believes that LBJ, like, 
murdered Kennedy, basically, or was the driving force behind the conspiracy to murder Kennedy. Like, he didn't pull the trigger, but he isn't responsible. Um, And so he gathered all these documents and used his own background as a political consultant to try to prove that LBJ was the mastermind behind the assassination. So, you know... Definitely intense conspiracy theory here in, um, but again, recommended by a contributor, says there's a lot of primary sources. You can, and at the very least, it'll be a very interesting read. Um, the author is described as political consultant, strategist, and libertarian. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's basically my response. <laughs> but it looks interesting. I don't know. Um, okay, so that's The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ by Roger Stone. All right, question two is from Katie. Um, Katie says, the members of my book club all have very different tastes, and we lose so much time trying to decide what to read next. One member likes light, sentimental reads like A Dog's Purpose and To All the Boys I've Loved Before. A couple of the members prefer fantasy novels like Harry Potter and uh, the George R. R. Martin books. And the last one doesn't prefer any of the above, but instead likes dark thrillers like Gillian Flynn and historical fiction like Miss Jane. We loved Leanne Moriarty's books, but totally struck out with Sorcerer to the Crown. Any idea of what might appeal to us or a title that would help us ease out of our comfort zones? Okay, I went with Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng um, because you said one of the members is really into like dark thrillers and historical fiction. And also, I think it's a good comp for Leanne Moriarty, this like look at uh, the difficulties of domestic life with like some crime stuff thrown in, sort of. <laughs> so Everything I Never Told You opens with the death of Lydia, who's a 16-year-old girl. Um, it is historical, so the member of your group who likes historical fiction might like that. It takes place in the 70s in small town Ohio. Um, Lydia is the like golden child of a Chinese-American family. The mother is white and her father is Chinese, and her parents have like hoisted their dreams on her. So um, all of the things that her father couldn't achieve because of racism, he wants her to achieve. All the things that her mother couldn't achieve because of sexism, she wants her to achieve. Uh, and then she goes missing. You as the audience know that she's dead. You don't know how. Um, but her family doesn't know that she's dead. They just know that she's gone. There are two other... Two? Three? Two. Two other children uh, in the family who are younger siblings who all have their own secrets too. Everyone in this book's got this secrets on secrets on secrets. Sex on sex on sex. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a really... I think it's a great book club book because there's so much going on and there's so... Uh, there's so much like drama and tension and um, interesting character motivations. And not all the characters are likable, but they're not unlikable either. They're just human, which is a really uh, difficult hat trick to pull off when you're writing literary fiction. So that's Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. I picked Amberlo by Lara Allen Donnelly. Boy, I can speak today. Lara <laughs> Ellen Donnelly. For some reason, I always want to call her Lara Elena, but that's not her name. Um, so her book, Amberlo, I picked it because... It has darkness and um, interpersonal shenanigans, I guess (laughs) is how I will say it in it. Um, But it also is like a second world fantasy that's got a historical touch. So it seemed like it might hit a few, at least a few, of the intersecting points of your book club. Um, It is about a a totally different world than our world, um, sort of in the 20s style time period. Um, It would be our 1920s anyway, uh, where there is a cabaret in a place called Amberlo City, and it 
is sort of the hub of a bunch of different people's lives. One of them is the MC uh, Aristide Macricosta, who is an amazing character. Oh my goodness. He's like this tall, you know, vampy, sweeping, amazing, like performer um, who's so sophisticated and like, oh, his line, his dialogue is amazing. Um, And he is having a like, a somewhat unsecret affair with a man named Cyril DePaul, who is also a spy. And Aristide is a smuggler, and they know about each other's lines of work, but they're, like, trying to keep it just an affair. So they, like, half-heartedly pry into each other's business. Um, and then there's Cordelia, who's a dancer at the cabaret, who becomes, like, one of Aristide's runners. And also Cyril wants to use her for this plot. And Cyril gets, like, kidnapped by this opposing political party and um, made to turn coat. And, and there's all of these political shenanigans going on aside the interpersonal ones. So there's a bunch of layers to this book. Um, it is very much about politics and resistance and... Uh, sort of the ways that government parties can want to crack down on things like, you know, cabaret, which is, if you look at it from their perspective, like a, you know, a den of sin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's, there's stuff that might feel a little on the nose politically, but it would certainly make for a great discussion uh, as to how people approached it and how they felt about the characters and how they felt about the plot. And there's just a lot to talk about. I really enjoyed it. So that's Amber Lowe by Lara Elena Donnelly. It is Laura Elena Donnelly. Oh my gosh, I never get her written name right. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry, Miss Donnelly. I'm sorry. Okay, so question three, who I will try to get some names right, is from Allie, who says, My husband and I are planning a quick weekend getaway to Vegas on April 28th uh, to be away from all the dramas of daily life. While we plan on spending majority of our time together at the pool with some fruity alcoholic drinks, I want some reading that is outside of my norm that will help me get away from it all. I'm looking for something fun, steamy, but not too unrealistic, because that tends to take me completely out of the moment. Uh, let's see, my reading styles go all over the place, but I tend to gravitate to high fantasy, YA like Sarah J. Moss's A Court of Thorns and Roses, or fiction like Modern Lovers by Anna Straub. Uh, I don't want anything filled with too much family drama, because this is the type of stuff we're taking a vacation from. Emphasis on fun and steamy. All right, Amanda, you go first. Okay, I picked When Beauty Tamed the Beast by Eloisa James, which I read on a beach drinking some alcoholic drinks, and it was just the most fun. So this is a romance retelling of the Beauty and the Beast, you know, myth, legend, legend, but story, whatever. Um, but Eloisa James based the hero, the Beast character, on House, like the doctor from the drama, from like the TV show. So he's like very crotchety, and he has um, a leg injury, so he doesn't have the use. Well, yeah, he can he can walk with the use of a cane, but he's in lots of chronic and constant pain, and it makes him a total jerk to everyone around him. So he's and he's very like sarcastic and witty, and for some reason you find him charming, even though he's awful. So he's entirely based on House. Uh, but this is it's a Regency romance, so all of those things combined: Beauty and the Beast, House, Regency fun, super fun book. Um, so the heroine's name is Lynette and she gets herself into a bit of a pickle when she's caught like making out with a member of the Royal family. And, uh, the next morning she has food poisoning and also wears a dress with an umpire waist. So the combination of like a rounded looking middle and her throwing up everywhere plus being caught making out with somebody makes everyone think she's pregnant. So her reputation is like instantly ruined. Um, and then she, like her, a friend of her father's, 
is uh, a duke whose son Pierce is the house character, um, and he is a nobleman who has taken on a profession. He's a doctor, which is just shocking in and of itself. But also, um, everyone in you know society or whatever is thinks that he is unable to make children because he hasn't gotten married yet. Um, and so they, the parent, the like fathers come up with this brilliant idea that Lynette, who everyone thinks is pregnant, will marry Pierce, who can't be nice to women long enough to get a wife. And then everyone's problems will be solved. So she goes off to his castle and meets him and he's just crotchety and she does not care. Like she doesn't take his guff. It's just so much fun. Their banter is really fun. And, um, their, like their, uh, chemistry is great. It's just a really enjoyable beachy fun read so that's when beauty tamed the beast by eloisa james that's one of my favorite eloisa james books that's a good one it's so good he's so grumpy so he's which is so funny because i actually really dislike the show house like that <laughs> character i i can't stand that character like he's racist and he's disrespectful yeah it doesn't stand up well i used to be obsessed and then i tried to rewatch in the last two years and i was like oh no 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 like yeah. it's not it's not good um yeah. But that actor, what is his name? I know his Hugh name. Hugh Lowry. Yes. He is a very attractive man. Let's be real. Um, okay. Sorry. Side note. <laughs> okay. So I, I, as I read the question aloud, I realized I had skipped over this part about nothing too unrealistic. But I'm going to give you my rec anyway because it is one of the most fun books I've read in the past year. It's My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. And this book is just fun fun like it is so much fun and there are some really good romances in it so it's not like steamy the way Eloisa James is steamy like you're not going to get an actual sex scene but it's super super enjoyable and there's good romances and it's just ridiculous um it is a it is a reimagining of Lady Jane Grey, who was beheaded after being Queen of England for six days. Um, so the the authors have decided to reimagine it. What if instead of it being a religious conflict that was surrounding her, it was that some people are where people like can turn into animals and some people are not. And then on top of it, um, People are still trying to kill the previous king and her, though. But because there are these, like, shifting powers involved, everything goes not according to the nefarious plans. And so she escapes and is on this quest to um, save herself, save her cousin King Edward, save the throne, and somebody turns into a horse, and somebody else (laughs) can turn into a cat. And, like, I don't want to spoil anything, but, like, it's really... Stupid fun. Like, just so much fun. I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it's just really, really super fun. It is not at all uh, believable, I guess is the word I want. Like, it's clearly meant to be silly. But but actually, there's some really great moments where you're like, well, how would you deal with it if every day, every morning, like clockwork, you turned into a horse and you were only human <laughs> at night? Like, what would you, how would your life work? Especially if you're a member of the aristocracy. Like, that's complicated. <laughs> I don't know. I'm digging myself a hole here. So that is My Lady Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. I know it's nothing like this, but it sounds like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy set in Tudor England. It like, how did you turn is. into a horse? It's like, that's not the wrongest description. You're in the uh, right ballpark. That's amazing. Now I have to read it. You have to read it. It is so funny, Amanda. Oh my gosh. It's I feel amazing. like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy set in the Tudor period is like my wheelhouse. <laughs> I, I, I think you are going to love it. I really do. Okay. <laughs> 
<coughs> Moving on. All right. So question four. It's from Melissa. Uh, Melissa says, let's see. I run a YA book club at the library where I work. The club is geared for middle and high school students, and I would like some suggestions for what to discuss next. I would love books that feature diverse characters and that appeal to both genders. Okay. I picked just the cutest. I love this book so much. It's Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee. And it is the first in, I don't know if it's going to be a trilogy or a series or what, but um, the second book is not out yet. It's supposed to come out this year, but I don't know when. Okay, anyway. So this takes place in like the near future, and I think it's like a post-World War III. It's either post-World War III or post some kind of sun flare radiation event, some big radiation event that basically destroys society as we know it. Um, and it takes place a, a, a little while after that when society is in the process of rebuilding itself and has mostly done so. So we have cities, we have, uh, you know, they have public school systems, they have shopping malls, they whatever. Uh, everything is just like three or four ticks off from what we would recognize because, you know, it is post-apocalyptic. And so in this universe, the main character, Jessica, is the child of two secret superheroes because this radiation event has unlocked genomes in humanity that has given us access to, you know, parts of the brain that we didn't have access to previously. So now, and that manifests in what looks like superheroes. Some people can fly, some people um, can control magnets or metal, stuff like that. And so they live in a, her family lives in what's, what's basically like a small kind of suburban area. Her parents are the assigned by the government superheroes of the town. They have um, low level, what do you call them? Arch nemeses, which is another couple um, who are the, the government assigned villains. Like everybody's assigned their roles here. And Jessica does not have, she's not manifesting any genetic uh, superheroes. When everyone else in her family has some kind of power, she doesn't have any. Um, and so she's trying to go through her years of high school, facing all the things high school students face, including having a crush on another girl who maybe doesn't know she's alive, is like this very popular, beautiful girl who's on the volleyball team. Um, and trying to make something of herself when everyone else in her family is extraordinary. And so she gets a paid internship at um, a, comp- a local company, and it turns out that her internship is working for her family's arch nemesis supervillain. Um, plus side, her crush works there too, so she gets to stay and like hang out with her. Um, and she has to like figure out what sort of plot the supervillain is hatching while managing her feelings for Abby, the girl she has a crush on. And it's just like adorable. And everybody has these really cute superpowers. It's, um, her family is Asian American and all of her, I think pretty much all of her friends come from some sort of diverse, either gender or racial or ethnic background. So it's a super diverse, um, cast of characters. It's very comic booky. I think that you know, the main character is a girl and boys should read books with main characters who are girls, but it's also like just action adventure. I think boys, boys will really like it. So that's not your sidekick by C.B. Lee. That sounds super fun. It's so cute. It's so cute. Like, oh, I just love it so much. Nice. Uh, <laughs> okay. I picked The Arrival by Sean Tan, which I have done as a book club book with uh, middle grade and high school students. And it went really, really well. Um, so The Arrival is a graphic novel without words. Um, it is about a man who crosses the ocean. He's clearly an immigrant. 
Um, he is leaving home. He's leaving his wife and daughter and goes to this new city. And there are strange uh, moments where there's like clearly some dark forces that involved in the plot line. But also there's just these moments of him like he can't read any of the signs and trying to navigate his way around this new place without knowing the language or knowing the people or knowing the, you know, how to read anything. Um, and it's got, it definitely has a through plot, but you can kind of interpret it because again, there's no words in the book. So it's, it's all up to you to look at the faces of the characters, to look at the art, to look at what's going on. There's some really delightful sort of whimsical touches as well as like these dark forces that are, you know, involved in the story. And, um, and when we did it for a book club, it was really interesting because I, we went around and we said like, okay, so what do you think happened? in the book and everybody had like sort of their own interpretation and then we could talk about the art and like how how did it make us feel when we saw certain pages what do we think was happening in certain scenes it was just a really awesome experience and also a lot of middle school and high school students still draw in a way that like kind of gets beaten out of you as you get older. You're not supposed to draw for fun anymore. You only draw if you're really good. But um, we ended up having a really interesting conversation about drawing and, like, what you can do with art. So that was a really cool moment, too, when, when we did this book club. So that is The Arrival by Sean Tan. And now I will tell you about our second sponsor, which is a publisher. It's Kensington Books, who have... All kinds of amazing romance. Um, they have thriller romances like The Darkest Night by Rick Reed. They have really lovely love stories like Falling Hard by Stacey Finn. Finn's, excuse me. There's Coming of Age by Shepherd Avenue by Charlie Carrillo. And they are the publisher of the amazing historical romance by Alyssa Cole called An Extraordinary Union, which I've talked about before on this show, and you should all be going to get it from your bookstore because it is so good. So yes, Kensington publishes a huge range of different kinds of romance. Um, they've got something for everyone, and you should definitely check them out, most particularly, gonna... Push it again. <laughs> Alyssa Cole. Um, you can check it out. But you can check Other authors are very good, too, I will say. Um, and they have ebooks. So if you are an ebook reader, you can get them that way. For more information, you can visit kensingtonbooks.com. Okay. Is it me again? It is me again. All it's me. Uh, this next question is from Eliza, who says... I've noticed that for the past year or so, I've been reading novels almost exclusively from a male perspective, though mostly written by female authors, funnily enough. Recently, I picked up and reread my copy of The Bell Jar and realized just how much I miss reading from a female perspective. To give you a sense of the type of novels I like to read, some of my favorites are The Secret History, Frankenstein, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and pretty much everything by Nabokov. I trust both of you guys, however, so I leave the choices up to your discretion, no matter the type or genre. All right, Amanda, your turn. Okay, I picked which is probably an obvious one, but My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante. I feel like if you're into Nabokov, Ferrante feels very Nabokov-y to me. Nabokovian? Nabokovish? I don't know. That sounded legit, Nabokovian. I'm going to make it a thing. It's like, it's like what? oh, now I can't. It's like Kafka-esque. It's right, Kafka-esque, yes. She talks about butterflies a lot. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think she does. Um, <laughs> so My Brilliant Friend uh, by Elena Ferrante is translated by Anne Goldstein. If you haven't, I mean, like, it's been everywhere for the past couple of years. Um, but it's just a masterpiece. It's a quartet. There are four books. Um and it is about two friends, Elena and Lila, who are growing up in Naples in the 50s. Super, super poor, violent neighborhood. Um, and 
Elena, is it Elena? Who's the, Elena's like a book, a, a book smart kind of kid. Um, and she's the narrator. Uh, and she dedicates herself to her studies as a, as a, as a, basically a way of getting out of this situation that she's in of, you know, poverty in this grinding neighborhood or whatever. Uh, her friend Lila is beautiful and smarter than her, but because of circumstances at home, has to drop out of school. She gets married very young. Her husband abuses her. There's a lot of there's a lot of domestic abuse in these books. So trigger warning for that. Um, but it's a, a book about female friendships told from the perspective of Elena in her seventies. I guess she's elderly, uh, looking back and retelling the story of their friendship. That uh, and it as it like wanes, waxes and wanes. Is that what I'm trying to say? Ebbs and flows. Grows and shrinks, whatever. Um, and as they face the, all the and metaphors, you know, like is bigger and then is not so big <laughs> with their friends, and then they're not so much with the friends uh, because life. But uh, you're gonna want to read all four books. They're they're so they're very. I don't like literary is like a weird descriptive word to use, but they're very literary. She's great on the sentence level, um, but they're very page turnery. Like I read this one on a I read the first one on a beach for some reason, and it didn't feel weird to like be reading. It didn't feel like a weird choice for a beach read. Um, and then I went through the other three in like two weeks. So I love these books a lot, and they're they're like a masterpiece of li- like literature about the internal lives of women for a reason. So the first one is My Brilliant Friend. Uh, it's by Elena Ferrand. I picked for you My Year of Meats by Ruth Ozeki, which is a really Herp. weird book. Um, <laughs> what's that? I just said Er. Uh, er. The title. Yeah, I know. It's such a strange title. Uh, she's amazing. She's so weird. I love her. Um, yeah, it seemed like from your picks, you're down with like a little weirdness. Uh, and this book is crazy. Crazy good. Uh, so it's. There are two female narrators, one of whom is a documentarian who lands his job producing a Japanese TV show sponsored by the American, like, meat export conglomerate. Um, and she's supposed to make this, like, episodic reality TV show about American housewives cooking meat. Um, to pr- and, and part of the goal of the show is to promote meat consumption in Japanese households. And the other woman... Uh, whose name is Akiko, is a Japanese housewife whose husband is involved um, in making the show on the Japanese side, and she is stuck in a really terrible, abusive marriage. Trigger warning for that. Um, And they kind of, the the narrative jumps back and forth between the two of them. They do intersect, but it's really really about the very different sort of perspectives the women have on this show and, like, what is going on. Um, And Jane, who is the... um, uh, she's Japanese American working in America on the TV show um, is like struggling with all of these, like she's making a product that, you know, she wants to believe in the power of the things she's filming, but it's for, you know, very corporate ends. And so she's struggling with that. Um, she's trying to like make it more progressive and have like gay couples and like, you know, people with mixed race families and fighting with the TV executives over her choices of, you know, the people who are going to be in the reality TV show. And then she starts to discover some really unsettling things about the American meat business, which is no surprise if you've done any research ever. Um, fair warning, this might turn you off meat for for some time. Um, if you didn't already know these things, it's, it's not pleasant. Uh, and then Akiko is struggling with her marriage. She's struggling to figure out who she wants to be um, outside of that, or if she's even allowed to have, you know, a life outside of her marriage. 
there's a lot of intense things going on. Uh, and it is really, and it's a really, I was enthralled by this book. I could not stop reading, even though it was so uncomfortable sometimes. And Nabokov, I feel like is really good at that too, like making you super uncomfortable, but you can't stop turning pages. Um, so that is one of the reasons I picked this for you. Also, Ruth Ozeki is just amazing. Like a, t- a tale for the time being so good. Uh, so you should read her cause she's great, but that is my year of meats by Ruth Ozeki. Okay, question six comes from, let's see, this is anonymous. Uh, So she says, I'm a little embarrassed to ask this, but I would love recommendations for good books on improving your sex life. My husband and I have been married for several years and have a very good relationship, but sex is one area we would like to work on. However, there are a ton of badly written sex books in the world, so I don't know where to start. Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are is on my to-read list, thanks to all the books, uh, the podcast. Do you have any other ideas for books of this type that approach sex in a respectable, practical, genuinely helpful manner? In other words, I'm not looking for Cosmo-style articles in book form. Uh, Yes, we do, as a matter of fact. Okay, so my recommendation for you is The Guide to Getting It On by Paul Jonides. Never said that out loud. Uh, And uh, Derek Gross, who is the illustrator, because they're illustrations. So this book was first published in 1996, and it has gone through lots of editions. Um, I think it's on the 8th. The 8th edition? Um, I'm looking... I don't know. Okay. Um, 7th or 8th. And so the last edition that... The last newest updated version came out in 2012. Um, and so there, it's just, it's huge. First of all, it's like a thousand pages and it approaches everything that you want to know about getting it on, basically. Um, it is funny. Like, I know you're not necessarily looking, you're not looking for like Cosmo style and it's not that at all, but it is like wink, wink, nod, nod. It, it, it has a sense of humor, um, but it is very practical. Uh, the tone of the book is like kind of uh, warm and approachable. It's very informative, obviously, for a thousand pages, um, and has guides to every aspect that you can think of of that particular act. This is like I'm trying not to lose our explicit rating here. Talking yeah, about this, this is like, a tough one. <laughs> so this is like I'm not being prudish. I'm trying to be thoughtful about the recording and iTunes rules. Um, so there is a section in the book for every aspect of what you're looking for is how I'm going to stop talking now. So that's the guide to getting it on by Paul Jornides. <laughs> I just don't I know. know how to say, like, I don't know how to be more descriptive without being weird. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about it too. I, so I really, Emily Nagoski is what you want. Like, I yeah. don't know if you haven't read it yet or you said to read. Yeah. So that like, pick it up immediately. It is a hundred percent what you're looking for because more than like which part goes where that book is all about all the things that can get in the way. So even if you're doing things that should otherwise be pleasurable or fun, your brain and your stress and your subconscious and all of these other things can like intervene. Um, and Nagoski is really good at breaking down how and why that happens like the sort of physical and mental mechanics of it and giving you different ways to approach it so that when you like get to the point where you're ready to have sex with your person, like you can actually have a good time. Um, and, and it's, it's also got great stuff about people who have different drives inside of their marriage. Like somebody wants more, somebody wants less, like how to handle all of these different things. Um, so I really cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, there's also practical, like, but this there information. <laughs> I like, don't know how to. Yeah, exactly. But but really, it's all about like getting your head right and knowing why it might not be right in in through no fault of your own, through nobody's fault. Um, there are different things that can impact that relationship. So 
And also, I mean, so I didn't give you a new book, so I figured I would give you a website. Um, if you do want more of like technique guidance, there's this great site called Good in Bed that is very sex positive and like approaches everything from like a healthy and enthusiastic consent standpoint and has some very good guides. They have ebooks, they have articles, they have all kinds of stuff. Um, and I have found them to be good. So that is goodinbed.com. But really, pick up Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski because it's great. Okay. Next question is from Lily, who says, I recently agreed to start a book club with some new friends. I'm super excited to get it rolling, but I also I have literally no idea what I'm doing. I haven't been in a book club since middle school and would love some recs to get us off to a strong start. The group got started through a meetup for lady nerds, so we've got many sci-fi, fantasy, and mystery fans. We love butt-kicking ladies, adventure, and diverse world characters, um, or diverse worlds slash characters, excuse me. Uh, yes, Okay. So, Amanda, you can talk for a little while. Okay. I picked a book that I'm in the middle of reading right now. It's called A Murder in Time by Julie McEulwain. McEulwain. The spelling of her name will be in the show notes. And I picked this because uh, it's total butt-kicking later adventure, mystery, but also time travel. So it's a little bit sci-fi fantasy. It's got kind of an outlander thing going on. Um, So the main character's name is Kendra. She's 26 years old, and she is, like, a super genius. Her parents were very smart um, but heartless scientists who believed in eugenics and, like, came together to make a baby because they both had genes that needed to be combined to make a super smart baby. And the result was this girl, Kendra. Um, So she has bucked her parents' plans for her to become, like, a super scientist or whatever and has instead joined the FBI, where she's on this huge rising star. Like, she's doing really well. And then her team... um, participates in a raid of uh, a really high-ranking terrorist and his British financial guy. And they're back, they're like double-crossed in the middle of the raid. Half of her team is murdered. She ends up in the hospital um, and is in the hospital for several months. When she gets out, she goes rogue and goes to England to find the financial guy who was behind the whole thing and to kill him and basically get justice for the people who... for for the people who on her team who were killed in this raid. So while she's in England, she's in this castle, like fleeing for her life in the middle of this like adventure she's put herself on. She escapes into a stairwell in this castle. And when she comes out of the stairwell, she's in the same place, but it's the year 1815. And she's mistaken for like a new lady's maid. And so she has to just hit the ground running and figuring out how she got to the year 1815 and not reveal who she actually is. So people don't think she's crazy. And, you know, like, put her in a loony bin basically and so uh then she real then uh, like on the body of a girl is found on the grounds of this estate uh where she's found herself back in time and um she doesn't have any of her like 21st century forensic tools she just has to figure out what's going on using her brain which is a significant thing um her brain is a significant thing i mean and so she starts thinking maybe she's gone back in time for a reason like how did this happen? But obviously here's this murder that no one but me can solve that sort of thing. So it's like, it's very fast, fast paced and has a lot of genre mashup stuff going on. Kendra's a really kick butt character and I like her a lot. So that's a murder in time by Julie McEwen. And it's the first in a series. Um, the second one, I think just came out. Thank you. Goodreads. Yeah. The second one just came out this month. So if you like it, you can. Okay. 
I want to take a second to pitch the In the Club newsletter that we have that I also happen to write, what, um, <laughs> which is specifically dedicated to helping you with book club stuff. Uh, it comes out every other week, and I try to include books that I think would be good for book club discussions, as well as, like, things to do at your book club to keep it interesting, um, or ways to organize, or whatever. Uh, anything I come across that looks interesting from a from a book club standpoint, I put in there. So you can, I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go sign up for that. Um, that might help you out, hopefully. Uh, so my pick for you guys is Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza, which is so much fun. It is a YA sci-fi space opera because being a space princess is super hard, you guys. <laughs> um, it's super complicated and difficult. So the main character, Re, is the last person in her dynasty. Um, She's part of the ruling family, and her entire family was murdered uh, 10, 10 years ago? I think it's 10 years ago when the book picks up in a in a crash that she was supposed to be part of. So she managed to escape being assassinated. Now she's the only person left, and she's been trained sort of since she was a kid to defend herself, but also she has been plotting her revenge for all of these years, and she thinks she knows who's responsible. Um, and, like, all she wants is to get, you know, her coronation over with, so, and also to, like, kill the person she believes killed her family. And then the other storyline involves a young man named Alyosha who is from a neighboring planet that Ree's uh, family's planet has been at war with, but there's a current peace, um, and there's a lot of prejudice surrounding people from Ali's planet, and he's, like, trying really hard to be, like, an exemplary citizen to prove all that prejudice wrong, and he's ended up, he's a soldier, and he's ended up on this, like, reality TV show in the future um, about soldiers. I was initially skeptical about this plot point, but then it turned out really well. Um, and then, uh, so of course, so Re is then the victim of another assassination attempt as she's on her way to get crowned queen. So now she's on the run. She doesn't know who to trust. Um, and Ali is trying to escape. He has been Uh, pinpointed as the person responsible for the assassination attempt, even though he had nothing to do with it. So they're trying to prove their own, uh, you know, or Ali's trying to prove his innocence, Ree's trying to figure out what the heck is going on and stay safe and not assassinated. And everything is very complicated. And this is the first in a series. I cannot wait for the second book. Um, If you loved the Lunar Chronicles, you are gonna want to pick this up. It's super fun. Um, And it is an own voices book. The characters are clearly not white. And I believe Rotable is as Filipina. So if that matters to you, this is a great one to pick up as well. So that is Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza. Okay, our last question is from Janet, who says, I'm completely useless in the kitchen and really need to fix it. When I was younger, I decided that as a feminist statement, I was going to not learn to cook because I'd been told so many times that I needed to learn to cook for my future husband. Now I'm 21 and can only make spaghetti and eggs and I'm tired of takeout. I've attempted to make a few things in the kitchen, but discovered I didn't even need to make my feminist statement because I'm very bad. (laughs) Do you know any books that have simple recipes for beginners? I don't have any dietary restrictions, though I do get wigged out handling meat, so a cookbook with a selection of vegetarian options would be nice. Okay, I picked uh, a cookbook called Damn Delicious by Chung Ha Ri, which is from her blog, which I've been using for years. I love her blog so much. And the cookbook is 100, the subtitle is 100 Super Easy, Super Fast Recipes, and that's what her blog is mostly known for. Um, so there's... Uh, they're all very much designed for beginners. You don't need fancy equipment. You don't need um, to know how to like 
I'm trying to think of something that's really make meringue, you know, like it's stuff like a sheet pan steak and veggies or spaghetti carbonara, which takes 20 minutes. There are a couple of, um, well, not a couple, there are a lot of vegetarian recipes. There's a lot of soups, uh, and stuff in this and a lot of things that you could very easily adapt to being vegetarian, but just like leaving the meat out of the mini deep dish pizzas that she's put in there. Um, and most of the recipes take like about 30 minutes or less. So since you don't have a lot of experience and probably don't want to spend hours doing a thing that does not make you feel smart, because that is like really frustrating for me, I think this would be a good pick for you. So that's Damn Delicious by Chung Ri. I really feel this question. <laughs> I did not grow up knowing how to cook, and I made it all the way through college on like spaghetti and grilled cheese. Um, so I really, really feel you. And that I am in, I am thirty four, and I'm only just starting to feel confident in the kitchen. So, like, I come to you from your future saying it is possible, but it's gonna take a it's gonna take a minute. Um, but I want to recommend to you Mark Bittman, who was really my introduction with how to cook. Um, and he has a whole series of cookbooks that are the how to cook everything books and there's two that I want to point you towards because I'm not sure which one you would prefer there's the basics which is like literally meant to be for people who have never cooked before and have no idea what they're doing there's illustrations they're very straightforward recipes that are also the building blocks for fancier things so you get like a good foundation and like basic techniques that then you can use to make fancier stuff um and again and like Amanda was saying with hers most of his recipes are adaptable to be vegetarian but then he has a whole how to cook every Everything vegetarian uh, cookbook that's great. I lived out of that cookbook for several years, um, and it's really useful. He also has sections in there on like how to stock your pantry so that you have the things you need when you need them, which is the thing that nobody really teaches you about or even tells you um, when you're trying to learn to cook. It's like, oh, just go to the grocery store and buy six million ingredients every time you need to make a recipe. No, that's not how it works. You can stock ahead of time. It's really revolutionary. So that is Mark Bittman. He's got a bunch of great cookbooks, but uh, the basics or how to cook everything vegetarian would both be good starting points for you. And that is our show. Hooray! Um, I just wanted to do a quick note. I said that My Lady Jane was stupid fun, and I didn't mean stupid in the, like, it's not very smart. It's actually very smart. I meant stupid fun as in the phrase stupid fun, which means ridiculously fun. Just to note. So in <laughs> case, I don't want anybody on the internet to take that the wrong way. Um, okay. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have a second, please do review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show, and we do love to see your feedback. Thank you so much to today's sponsors, and you can find us online, although as we have confessed, neither of us are on Twitter much anymore, but I'm Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson, and thank you again for listening. Same. <laughs> oh, no. Where? Mine's just gone. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs>